Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski with Market Chat, Friday, June the 16th. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Taken-Verts, and let's get started. All right, jumping in here, Christian. So today, this morning, we all learned of this, um, this big takeover um, by Amazon um, absorbing Whole Foods. Uh, what does this acquisition uh, mean for the, the larger uh, retail sector? We've seen this sector lag considerably um, this year, um, not just this year, but uh, over some time now. And um, what does this mean going forward to, for other retailers? Well, I, I think it makes life increasingly tough for any box department store uh, physical retailer, as as indeed that's that's a trend which has been going on for some years. And we've seen this year the share prices of uh, Macy's, Target, Bed Bath and Beyond, CVS uh, get hammered. And, uh, and, and last week, uh, Kroger was down nearly 50% in one week. So I, I think the market knows that uh, internet retailing is is the wave of the future, and with Amazon taking over a premium brand, uh, I think obviously they get a different type of price point and a lot more physical locations than they've been able to do organically. So uh, it, it's also you know fairly top of the market stuff. I you know it's a it's 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 a it's a deal which Whole Foods was forced into, given that there was an activist hedge fund manager in there. Uh, but I think we're just going undergoing, as, as everybody knows and probably experiences, this transformation of retailing as we know it. And in this shift, as you say, this transformation of the, of the retailing sector, with this acquisition, do you see Amazon just kind of completely taking over this space? Um, no, I think, I think eventually they'll, they'll, they'll run out of size and growth opportunities, uh, if not run into some antitrust problems. But I do think their their model of bringing a lot of different suppliers to a, a single platform and, and making products incredibly cheap because they've got you know, some warehousing advantages, logistic advantages, uh, and certainly buying power advantages and customer loyalty, you know, are certainly changing the whole you know, mood of retailing. I, I've always felt, and we talked about it briefly, I, I found investment in personally investing and also uh, as a fund manager in in retailing really difficult mm. because you because you get companies, they, they can do very well for long periods of time, but they, they can be highly fashionable. I think of companies like mm. Abercrombie & Fitch or Lululemon, a different product, but, uh, you, you know, they, they can just be the rage, uh, and and then suddenly, um, you know, they, they 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 stop growing, and they're highly indebted, and uh, the fashion side of it can be really brutal. Uh, I mean, it it seems as though you know we have these the heat, the other biggest retailer in the world is Walmart, right? And um, you know, a couple years ago, they they spent a ton of money um, investing in their digital platform, but. Is that at that point Amazon was so successful um, and was so top of mind for everyone? Does that mean that it, it just simply is too late? Was too late for Walmart to do that? Um, I think it's always difficult for a for a company to 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 depart radically from where it came from. So Walmart started as this out of town box retailer. Uh, it, it essentially decimated city and town center retail stores, put them out in cheaper property, put them under a big warehouse, and was able to have huge 
economies of scale through its logistics and transportation, warehousing and buying power. So I, I think that type of uh, retailer will continue to exist, especially in sort of non-urban America. Uh, but it's certainly a tougher time for, for 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 that for that type of retailer, and you know, general, you know, a lot of that retailing in general, which is not a high margin business, never has been. Let's move on to the Fed. So, of course, we all know at this point that the Fed did um, opt to tighten rates. Um, you seem to think uh, you've written in your blog that this was a mistake, um, namely because, and and I want to get into kind of what they've they focus on when they dis- when they make these decisions, and they seem to be very focused on this Phillips curve model. Um, can you explain, A, first, what that is to our audience, um, and B, there's been some talk that this model isn't necessarily applicable into the times that we're living in. Um, so just, I'd like to, see, to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, I do think the... Fed has made a mistake, and that's principally because they're looking at the unemployment numbers. And so that Phillips model is, and you know, forgive the the economists out there if I oversimplify it, but that uh, the lower employment goes, the tighter the labor markets, and the higher the likely uh, likelihood of wage inflation. So that's really what I think that they're concerned about: the so-called NIRU, the National uh, Non-Accelerating Inflation Rate of Unemployment people thought was about five, then it's got ratcheted down, and now they're concerned that it might be about the level of what the current employment rate is. But so certainly unemployment numbers are, I think, um, they're low. I think there's a lot of problems with the way employment is calculated right now. I think there's a lot of underemployment and a lot of people who are simply not registering themselves as available for employment who probably should be and could be and would have been in other other economic circumstances. So I don't think wage, wage inflation is around the corner. And it was an extraordinary hike because the Fed acknowledged that inflation isn't there. They keep on putting it down to one-off items. So it's you know, it energy, then it's uh, uh, wireless programs, then it's drug programs. And so every time, it's a bit, reminds me of the 70s when it was the other way around, where people you know, say, well, it's a one-off increase in X, a one-off increase in another product, another product. And the trouble is that it's different every quarter or every month. So there's no inflation there. And I think they're having a tough time seeing it. Uh, and so it was an extraordinary move. I, I mean, not unexpected, but I still think their logic has to be questioned as to whether or not they're making a policy error. And certainly the market is fighting them. Uh, the the 10-year uh, has has ri- risen to you know, an all, a, a high for the year. It's about 2.15%. Remember, when they started tightening, um, it was about 250, 260. Uh, you know, so so since they have started tightening 18 months ago, the long-term rates have just uh, edged down uh, uh, lower. Although there has been some rallies in the middle, but anyway, so that their their economic growth uh, expectations and projections haven't changed. So still two percent, less than two percent growth. Still seeing a Fed funds rate of around about three percent eventually. Uh, and employment's come down a little bit, but um, you know, for them not to see any increase in in, in either growth or inflation is uh, is pretty remarkable for them to take a, a hawkish stance. If we continue down on this path, um, you know, come September, come December, and they still are not seeing inflation, uh, it's probably uh, you know a good assumption that they may not raise again this year. But do you think that this this um, 
this rate increase today will have any sort of negative ram ramifications in, in the, uh, the general and larger economy? No, not, not right now. I think um, mortgages, e even 30-year mortgages, price themselves off the 10-year rate. So that hasn't changed. And in fact, you haven't seen any big increase in, in rates. Um, I think credit card debt uh, will ha has already sort of increased. Uh, obviously, that's revolving debt. Um, there might be some increases there, and but it hasn't affected the bond market, the corporate bond market, very much at all. Um, so I think for now it's more this concern of this inflation re deflation debate. So the Fed has said, "Hey, they see inflation." Now it's a bit like you know, as old westerns, they can see it sort of over the horizon and around the corner, and just faint trails of dust, and they think it's coming closer, um, or. Uh, but the bigger the concern, which has still not been eradicated or eliminated, is the deflation, and that's where you know prices go sideways and down. And and I think that that's that's still a concern out there. And I think the Fed has um, minimized that that the risk of that. And by the way, deflation is a killer. Inflation is very manageable. Deflation is the quickest way to knock an economy right on its back. Let's turn to overseas now. We've been talking about the Eurozone uh, for a while now um, into this year, but I'd like to, um, to turn to Japan because this has been increasingly um, a more positive story over the last couple of weeks, last month or so. Can you tell us what's going on in Japan and, and, and where, that, where that, that stands today? Well, Japan has for a number of years been pursuing the sort of three arrows of economics named after the prime ministers, which is quantitative easing, uh, reform of labor markets, and uh, a, 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 an attempt to increase inflation. And they've all worked to, uh, to various different degrees of success. And um, they're just kind of plugging along quietly. Uh, the, the, the Japan QE has moderated a little bit, but it's, um, it's been much more aggressive than the Fed's one. Uh, and their target is to keep the Japanese 10-year rate at zero, which is exactly what they've been able to do. And slowly, we've just seen some better numbers in Japan. We, you know, these are, these are numbers from pretty low bases, but we've seen things like uh, consumer confidence, uh, employment up a little bit, yeah, industrial production, chainsaw, store sales, all, all better in recent months. Now, there's been a lot of false dawns in Japan since the peak of the market in 1989, if you can believe. But um, there does seem that, that uh, I'm hesitant to say this time is different, but there's, there's certainly a little bit more confidence in the, in the markets. And not least, you know, we've seen Japan and Japan, Japanese small company stocks do pretty well over the last uh, year or so. They've outperformed the S&P by quite a bit. And so when the small companies start going, these are not the big exporters that we all know about. These are where the the the, uh, the, the concern about the, the, the yen is not as uh, as important in the way you think about those companies. But those, those are done very well. And I think those are reflections of the, of the success of some of the domestic policies. And, and what do you see in terms of kind of the long-term outlook um, for Japan in in maintaining this growth uh, in their in their economy while still um, battling kind of the challenging demographics that they have in terms of having the oldest population um, of a developed country 
um, those sorts of more kind of demographic um, population challenges that they face into the future? Well, they're, they're, they've certainly been around for a while. The good thing about demographics is that it's very easy to predict. You know, if you're alive today, you're alive probably in six months and, and a year from now. So if you're a young person today, you're going to be a middle-aged person 10 years from now. So the, I'm, I'm not too concerned that there's a kind of a demographic surprise on the market. Demography just doesn't kind of give those those big surprises. And so Japan is is managing it, managing something that, you know, Europe and probably America is going to run into in, in a couple of decades anyway. So um, it's, yeah, it's interesting question. I, I think that really what you're looking for with a flat uh, growth in the working population is you know, higher productivity, uh, looking at some better wages, um, and you know an ability to 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 to, to grow, you know both domestically and 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 um, and in export markets. But it's really productivity growth you're looking for, which is what the Japanese are very good at. So you know again that's what we're you know what we're sort of looking to see in a general sort of uh, you know uptick in confidence. Great. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you to all that has that have listened, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. And here is the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research, investment process, represent investments, investment strategy at the time of this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best or attractive risk-adjusted investments in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several successful as unsuccessful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended, although we deem reliable the sources, statistical and other information referred to. In this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements on numerical data, past performance, and no indication of future results.